0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning everybody. Are you excited to be in church? Awesome. I'm excited to be here too. We're going to have a great time over the next few minutes exploring principles in God's word and I'm going to get to do some something right now that I love to do and and either I get to do it or Pastor Kevin gets to do it virtually every Sunday. And that is welcome those of you who are brand new. Uh, I realize that every time, uh, at every service, there are brand new people and I know what it's like to take the risk and go to a church that you've never been to before. And maybe for some of you, you've actually never been to church before or haven't been in years. And, and you're wondering, oh my goodness, what, what's this gonna be like? I just wanna say thank you so much for taking the risk. Now, regardless of why you came, People that come to New Life tend to really like to come here and every once in a while somebody gets a little overzealous and 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 sort of throws a lasso around some family member and drags them in here. Um, you know, I just want to say if that happened to you, I apologize for your over overzealous relative and I'm so sorry that that's how they did that. But I do want to say this, there's a reason why you're here. And and there's a reason far above your overzealous neighbor or friend or family member. And I want to ask you over the next 30 minutes to just open your heart and let God talk to you. I know there's a song out there that was popular a few years ago that says, God is watching us from a distance, but I want you to know the God who wrote the Bible is not like that. He doesn't watch you from a distance. He doesn't watch me from a distance. God doesn't sit in heaven and shake his finger at you and me and say, could you please get your act together? The God who wrote the Bible is the God who comes and sits with you and me if we'll let him. And he puts his arm around us and he says, let's figure this out. And the great thing is, there's not a problem that you will encounter or are encountering that he doesn't know the answer to. I didn't say it was an easy answer. I didn't say it would necessarily be easy to live out. But the great thing is, when you have the God who created the heavens and the earth and who wrote the Bible sitting beside you, there is an answer. And he'll help you find it. And he'll help you walk it out. And that's why the song we just sang, not for a moment has he ever been absent in your life. And so I want to welcome you on that journey. A um, couple of things that uh, we also do every Sunday, I want to show you a couple things to get out of your program this morning. Uh, the first thing uh, is this sheet of notes. It's fill in the blank. If you'll take the pencil in the chair in front of you or on the chair where you're sitting and fill that out, it will definitely enhance your learning process. And I'm going to give you a tool this morning that you can put in your life tool belt that has the power to actually help and change every relationship in your life. And uh, that, that's not a snake oil promise. It's just the truth. And I think you'll see as we go through, uh, it's a great thing. So uh, I want you to learn. And so if you'll get those out, that will help you in that. And the second thing is is this card. It says, start here on this side. And there's a place for you to put contact information. It's not because we want to bug you. But on the back side, there's all sorts of things. You can ask the staff, to pray about something that's happening in your life. You can uh, enroll in some program that our church is offering. Uh, You can ask for information about something that our church offers. There's all sorts of stuff that you could check on the back. Uh, But almost every week, someone forgets to put their name on the front, so I have no idea who we're praying for or trying to get in touch with. So if you'll put your name and contact information on the front, uh, then we can follow through Uh, church definitely works better when you have the opportunity to communicate directly with our pastoral staff. And that little card enables you to do that. At the end of the service, we'll be passing baskets and collecting those. Welcome to a teaching series called Modern Family. This is our fourth week in this series. So you're jumping right in the middle of it. The first three uh, I think have been absolutely outstanding. The feedback from, from all of you has been phenomenal, and it's just fun as pastors to see how God is actually at work and doing things in your lives through the principles that uh, Pastor Kevin and I have been talking about and teaching. And hopefully the same will be true this morning. Now, when it comes to families, well, even inside or outside of families, we are complicated beings. Have you noticed that? Yeah, we're very complicated. And when you put two complicated people together in a marriage, does it get less complicated or more? It gets more complicated, okay? Throw in a couple of kids, and it gets more complicated. The kids grow up, and they get married. Throw in some in-laws. It gets more complicated. Then your kids have kids. They're your grandkids, and now it gets more complicated. And and families sometimes can go sideways. Have you noticed that? I was thinking as I was praying through this message about a story of a missionary one time who prayed this prayer to God. He said, God, I could be a great missionary if it weren't for all of these nasty natives. (laughs) And I oftentimes think, God, I could have so much fun in family if it wasn't for spouse and children. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is life. And this is how life works. And I want to take us back to a concept that I taught on last week. And if you, and if you weren't able to be here last week, uh, I, I'm just going to start where I left off last week. So I would highly recommend if you weren't here last week, the, the website for uh, our church is on the bottom of your teaching notes. Go to the website, click on media, pull up the podcast from last week, because I, I lay out sort of the premise for the brokenness that all of us see in human nature. And when you take a broken human nature and you multiply it by 7 billion people, you get the world in which we live and the families that we live in day after day after day. And there's definitely something broken in our human nature. And by the way, it doesn't mean you're a bad person, it doesn't mean I'm a bad person, but I have brokenness in my life and you have brokenness In your life. And here's what you need to know about this brokenness. If you don't acknowledge it. And you don't deal with it. Here's the thing. People who don't acknowledge their own brokenness. Are destined to live it out. For the rest of their life. Because they don't acknowledge it. And it will end up defining them. Here's another reason. Why you should deal with your brokenness. People who are broken. Hurt and break other people. And the closer you are to them, the more likely you are to get hurt and to be broken. And a third very compelling reason for you to deal with your brokenness is broken people pass their brokenness onto their children. And God says, come to me and I'll help you deal with your brokenness. So we're gonna go all the way back to probably the third page in your Bible and mine. It's the very first book in the Bible called Genesis, chapter three, God has created two people, Adam and Eve, put them in a garden and said, eat anything you want, but don't eat that tree because he wanted to test their loyalty to him. And he said, if you eat that tree, that's a thing called sin. And when you bring sin into your world, catastrophic changes are going to take place and none of them are good. And last week we talked about the four D's and you can go look that up. Today we're going to pick up the story right there with our brokenness because here's in his dialogue with Adam and with Eve, God said some things now, I know that there are pastors who will take this chapter and say, God was so bad that Adam and Eve sinned that he placed Adam and Eve under a curse. And he said, because you did that, I'm going to make sure this happens in your life. And I am going to make sure that happens in your life. I am going to make sure that happens in your life. But that's not actually the truth about this. God was grieved that Adam and Eve had sinned. Because he knew what it would mean for them. And in his dialogue with Adam and Eve, basically God is saying, I don't want you to be surprised about the new reality in your world now. Because something broke deep inside you. And you will now live the rest of your life with this broken nature. I will heal it eventually and I will pre- prepare an eternity for you where your broken nature has been completely healed, but for your lifetime on this earth, here's what it's going to look like. And in his dialogue with Eve, he lays out one of the pieces of our brokenness, and here it is. He said to Eve, you will desire to control your husband. All the married men in the room said, what? (laughs) You didn't think I was going to say that, did you? Yeah, well, okay, that's one side of the coin. Here's the other side. But he will rule over you. We're going to dig into that a little bit, but for, for the first time in their lives, Adam and Eve had control issues. Prior to this, they had had this wonderful natural partnership where Adam never felt like Eve wasn't doing what she should be doing. And Eve never felt like Adam wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. And Eve never felt like Adam got his way more often. And Adam never felt like Eve got her way more often. They had this wonderful, natural, completely wholesome relationship. But the moment they sinned, and you can see the symbol up there is a broken heart, something deep inside them broke. And for the first time, both Adam and Eve had control issues. And a huge manifestation of the brokenness in them and in all of us isn't just the control issue that we have personally. And it isn't even the control issues that we have inside our marriage. But it is the tension between the genders that has existed across history. And before I get into what the solution is, I just want to say this. God designed both masculinity and femininity, and he, te- he made men strong, and he made women beautiful. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Okay. Unfortunately, guys... History is filled with a pretty ugly picture of us using our masculine strength to dominate the women in our world and to pretty much relegate them to pieces of property that have been bought and sold and suppressed. And and I can tell you, even as a kid growing up, and I know... For some of you, that seems like, man, how, far, how long ago was that? That would be a long time ago. Uh, okay. I can remember as a kid being taught in the classroom and pretty much everywhere I went that men were better than women, that the best artists in the world were men, the best uh, musicians in the world were men, because God wanted it that way. I look at that now and I go, are you kidding me? And I just want to say to the women in this room, an apology on behalf of the men who have created a male-dominant world in which many of you have been suppressed. And please don't for a moment ever think that was in God's heart. I'm not a feminist at heart, none of that stuff. But I am eager for us as a church and as followers of Christ to get that right. And one of the things that God would say to us would be this. The tension between the genders. Let's find a way to get rid of that. Everybody on board with that? Yeah. I love, that was a high-pitched amen right there. All right. All right. Here we go. So. That's our broken nature. Now let's talk about what God says. Now in the context of marriage, last week we worked on only one passage of scripture and we're gonna start with that passage. This is God's solution inside of marriage. This is how God says we can fix it. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I brought the boxes back this week because they're a big help. And the word submit literally means to take your preferences, not your identity, not your value, take your preferences and your priorities and place them under another person's. And we talked about another passage that says, Honor one another. And it literally means to get under someone and to hold their preferences above your own. Submit to one another. And then he goes on to say, Now, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And to the husbands, he says, He says, for for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for her. Now, what, what he's actually saying in both cases, he's pointing husbands and wives to Jesus as the prime example. And what did Jesus do when he was in heaven and he looked down and he saw what our needs and our preferences were? He, he left heaven, he came to earth and he found a way to put his priorities and his preferences under ours and to give his life so that we could be forgiven. And he said, when you learn to build into your marriage that attitude, then there will be this wonderful partnership. So I was reading through that. I thought, I wonder what that would look like in expanded plain English. So I took a shot at it. Are you ready? Here it is. Wives. Quit trying to control your husband by using your beauty and your wiles to get your own way. Can I tell you, there's not a woman in the room who hasn't tried that and who still doesn't try that from time to time. God has made you beautiful. And yes, women have a thing called feminine wiles. And they use it sometimes To get their own way. What did God say to Eve? Eve, here's going to be your natural tendency. I'm sorry to tell you this, but this is your broken nature now. You're going to try to control your husband. So God says, don't do that. Instead, partner with your husbands by putting your preferences under his. So what'd that mean for guys? For guys, it means this. Husbands, quit trying to control your wives by using your strength and your intimidating persona. Is there a guy in this room who's never done that? Nope. Guy, All guys do that to get your own way. Instead, Partner with your wives by putting your preferences under hers. Now, we can fold up shop and just go home because that's the lesson. Okay? Now, it's not that simple. Okay? But that is the principle. And when we learn to build our marriages and our homes, and, we, and as parents, we model for our children what it means to do that. And we model for our children even when we have to correct them. There's a way to correct a child that preserves their dignity and actually there's a way to to correct your child that enables you to come under your child and lift your child. Not lift them to do an attitude adjustment. You know what I mean? But actually lift their heart and spirit. When we do that, Our children will grow up and they will learn how to do that with the people in their world. And friends, when we live like this, life is amazing. Family is amazing. Our relationships become vibrant. So how do we do that? Well, I'm going to give us a tool this morning. Some of you have heard of this tool. I'm going to expand on it just a little bit and it's one of the it's one of the best ways that we can take our preferences and put them under someone else's. Lots of studies have been done. Gary Chapman wrote a book called The 5 Languages of Love, and I want to haul those out this morning and talk to us for just a few minutes about them. And we're going to learn how to speak our love our our, our spouse's love language. Because in order to partner with our spouse, we have to give up any desire to control them. And one of the best ways to give up desire to control them is to voluntarily learn their love language. So here are the five languages of love. Words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. None of those needs a lot of explanation other than quality time does not mean in front of the TV, okay? Everybody on board with that? Okay. So here's a fun little exercise. There are some check boxes in front of those for a reason. Find the one that, that is your primary love language and uh, put your initials in it. And find the one that's, if, if you're married, it's your spouse's love language, put their initials in it. If you're a housemate or you have housemates, try to identify each one of those and put their initials in it. And, and if, you, if you have children, it would be fun to put the initials of your children by each of the love languages that you think they might have, because this can become really important as we proceed. So I'll give you uh, just 30 seconds or so. Usually the first thing that pops into your head is the right answer. Now that you have everyone appropriately pigeonholed in your life, let's talk about the the principles behind this. Principle number one is this. Every one of us has a natural, a primary, and probably also a secondary love language. In other words, this is the language in which we tend to communicate to both speak and to hear love. Okay? In my case, my primary love language is is uh, words of affirmation. My secondary love language is acts of service, okay? Just telling you that up front. No, never mind, you know, yeah, all right. <laughs> Number two, I should say my primary love language is sees candy, uh, never mind. By the way, if you wanna know, the universal male love language is food. All right, here we go, all right. uh, The second principle is this. Our love language is the default language. This is the language you will use without even thinking about it when you communicate love to the people around you, you will tend to speak it in your love language. That's just the most natural thing. By the way, what are we doing? When we speak it that way, it's like, oh yeah, this is the way I, this is the way I speak and, and hear love, so everybody must do it this way. okay? No, that's not actually true. The third principle is this. Others receive love best in their love language. I want to pull over the side of the road here and tell you two stories. Uh, Monica and I will celebrate our 45th wedding anniversary, God willing, later this year. We've been, yeah, yes, thank you. That's probably for her. Right? I understand that. Um, but many years into our marriage, uh, we noticed that there was one thing, uh, among others, that, that we just stunk at. We were actually no good at it. And uh, it took us a long time to figure out why we weren't. But we noticed that when one of us was gone or out of town for two or three days and came back, we would always come back with these lofty thoughts of reunion and how much we loved each other and how much we missed each other. And within 15 minutes, we were not missing each other all that much anymore. (laughs) Um, and, And it was like, we were worse at that than we were everyday life. And it was like, why is that the case? And then a couple of things happened, as I remember them, almost back to back. Um, I was out of town for a seminar, and uh, I was there for two days with 700 of my closest friends. Yeah, all right. I was in the, at the seminar with 700 people that I didn't know, and they were day-long seminars that went from early in the morning to late at night. And they served you meals, and you ate with these people, and you sat around tables with these people, and you discussed ideas and concepts with these people. And then when you ate dinner, you, I, you discussed more ideas and concepts. And I'm an introvert and an internal processor, and I have spent two days with 700 strangers being an external processor. I can tell you by the time I got home, I had used up all my words for about three weeks. Okay? Okay. Now, Monica's primary love language is quality time, and her secondary love language is physical touch. So Monica is thinking, what can I do for Ron when he gets back and off the plane? So she makes arrangements for us to go to a great restaurant, and she has carefully selected it And she's all dressed up beautiful, and she meets me at the airplane and tells me these plans, and we go sit down, and she says, now, tell me all about your seminar. (laughs) Oh, man. I mustered up, uh, it was good. (laughs) Can I tell you, that did not qualify for quality time? (laughs) I mean, the last thing I wanted to do was rehash everything we had talked about in the seminar and all the people I had met, and it just was not fun. Well, not too long after that, Monica was gone for two or three days, and we're going through that same process, only I'm on the other end, and I think, what can I do for Monica that would let her know how much I love her and how much I've missed her? And she, Monica's a fabulous cook, and she spends a lot of time in the kitchen and she keeps a very nice kitchen, and it's rarely ever cluttered. So I think, I know what I can do. I'm getting out the soft scrub, and I'm going to do a deep clean on that sink, and I'm going to wash the windows in the front of the, the glass and the front of the cabinets, and I'm going to get out the stainless steel spray, and I'm going to polish up all the stainless steel in the kitchen. And I just I spent like three hours in the kitchen, and when you walked in, I had all the backlights turned on, so everything was... I was just, I mean, the thing just popped. It was awesome. And I bring Monica in and I say, what do you think of the kitchen? It's nice. What? So I started telling her. I figured, she just hasn't caught on. She doesn't know what all I've done, right? So I start listing all the things that I've done to enhance her appreciation of me. Nobody else has ever done that, right, guys? When I get all done, she looks at me and said, I know what this means. It means I don't keep the kitchen clean enough for you. Oh, my. You know, you know what both of us had done? We had missed the last principle. A key way to partner with your spouse is by choosing to communicate our love, in their love language. Okay? That's how we take the our and mine and put it under theirs. I'll tell you one other story and then we'll get into the application. A few years ago, we were in southern India with a team of people from New Life. And uh, we had three members of our worship band who had gone along uh, to do some worship team training for local worship people there in southern India. And one of the worship band members was Justin. And the place where, where we go in southern India, they speak a language called Malayalam. And Malayalam is this incredibly complicated language. They all say that. It's the most rapidly spoken language in the world. And I mean, when they crank it on, it's like turn up a pot of boiling water. It just keeps going. And 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 most of their words have six and seven syllables. And they don't have the same consonants and vowels in their language that we have. And, and And it's just almost impossible to learn, even a simple phrase. But Justin is there, and God is touching Justin's heart with great love for these people. And Justin pulled aside one of the worship leaders and said... I want to learn a song in Malayalam. And Justin had written a simple worship song that he had taught us here at New Life, and he brought it along, and so the worship leader translated that English song into Malayalam, and he patiently sat with Justin for hours as Justin learned every syllable of that song in Malayalam. And the last Sunday we were there, we did a combined worship band, and so Justin and our and our people practiced earlier in the week with their worship band and their people and so we started out the service with a with a whole uh, section where the Malayalam worship leader led the congregation, and everybody played and those of us who didn't know how to speak in Malayalam we they clap for every song so we can clap in Malayalam. You know what I mean? So we just sat there and clapped as they sang, and, and it was powerful and moving. And then we moved into an English section of the worship service, and Justin and our worship band played with their worship band and led us in some English worship songs. But when the service—it was powerful, and it was, it was so wonderful. But when none of us were ready for what happened— when Justin said to the people, now I want to lead us in a song of worship in Malayalam. And strumming his guitar, he began to sing in Malayalam. There was not a dry eye in the house. Hundreds of people had come to that place to work with those missionaries. And no one had ever so much as spoken a phrase in Malayalam to them. And Justin led all of us in this song. It touched them at a place way down here. You know why? Because when you and I love each other enough that we will go the second and third mile to learn how to speak your language. It, it says something so incredibly deep about your value to us. That is the principle of learning to speak one another's love language. And I can tell you that when you begin to take your love language and you put it underneath your spouse's love language you will begin to break the cycle of a power struggle inside your marriage. Now, that's my prayer for you. There are three ways to apply this message, and let's go over them quickly. I will discover and begin practicing my spouse's love language with him or her this week. Okay, That's a no-brainer, right? That that would be one of the application points. That's going to be a great talking point. Might be a good idea to go to dinner together, by the way, work on this with your kids, with, with your in-laws, this works for everybody, great place to begin. Some of you are going to want to dig into this a little bit deeper. Gary Chapman, who, who is the author of probably the most famous book on the five love languages, has an ebook out, and, I, and, and I'm pretty sure I found a free link to it. So if you would like to read it, that book, okay, I didn't pirate it, it's all out there, all right? All um, right. But if you would like, it's about 80 pages long. Uh, if you want to dig into it a little deeper, then you check that on your card and I will send you a link to that ebook. book um, And then last of all, uh, we're going to give you the opportunity to enter into a first-time relationship with Jesus. And basically what that means is make the decision to become a Christian, to follow Christ with your life. And some of you, especially if you're brand new to new life, you might not know, you might say, well, why would I do that? when I can come to church and I can learn wonderful principles like this and I can improve my marriage, isn't that what Jesus is really all about, teaching us how to live and, and so forth? Well, yes, you can actually greatly improve the quality of your life just by coming to church. And you will be a better husband, you will be a better wife, you will be a better parent, you will be a better neighbor, you'll be a better worker um, in the workplace. Yes, you can You can come to church and use it purely as self-help. But I want to give you three compelling reasons to make the decision not just to come to church, but to follow Christ with your life and to make that decision today. See, if you had a disability, a significant disability, and I were to come to you and I were to offer you two things, and I would say to you, here's what I can offer you, I can give you a set of principles that will help you deal with your disability and make it more tolerable for you. Or I can offer you something that will heal your disability. Which would you opt for? That's a no-brainer, right? The principles I've taught you today are from God's Word, and they will help you deal with the brokenness in your life. Choosing to follow Christ with your life will begin the healing process for your broken nature. So would you rather just deal with your broken nature or would you like to begin to heal from it? That's why you want to follow Christ with your life. A second thing is, when you follow Christ with your life, he comes into your life and he says, what about all the sins that you have already committed and the sins that from time to time will still be in your life? Someone has to be held accountable for that, and it's actually you. But if you will come and follow me with your life, then I will forgive your sins because that's the reason I died on a cross. It's so that your sins can be forgiven. Your sins are not forgiven because you come to church. Your sins are forgiven because you choose Jesus as your saviour. And the third reason is this. At the end of your life, you're going to want to still live. And Jesus says to you, if you chose me as your Savior, I will give you eternal life and your real life is only just beginning. If you're ready to make that decision, with everything on the inside of me, I want to encourage you to make it. Here's a simple prayer. I can lead you in. You can repeat it right where you are. And then if you make this decision out in our guest central uh, kiosk, there's a first-time decision packet that will help you get started following Christ with some simple but wonderfully profound steps in your life. Would you stop by and pick up one of those. Here's the prayer. Dear Jesus, I acknowledge my brokenness. I come to you today asking forgiveness of my sins, and that you would begin the healing process in my broken nature. I trust you with my life, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.